Welcome to It's In My Queue, the podcast where we talk about TV pilots. I'm Kara. And I'm Adina. And today we're talking about One Day at a Time. Um, so yeah, I was excited to do this show on the podcast. I just have a reason to rewatch it myself because I really enjoy it. And also to get Kara to try it because it's a really wonderful show. And I've never met a person who didn't like it when they tried it. So Kara, what did you know about One Day at a Time before this? I feel like I, I've like seen it around just because I saw how much people were enjoying it. And I was like, oh, I'll get to that one day. And then I hadn't. I also was excited because it seemed like Rita Moreno was doing great work in it. That that seemed like a lot of fun. I feel like I heard a lot about it because of it's kind of like all of its like cancellation and moving to new network Mm -hmm. journeys. So Mm -hmm. I feel like I heard a lot about it in that sense, but I didn't want to watch it because once you put it on the list of things that you'd seen and I hadn't, I didn't want to mess with that. So that is another reason I was holding off. So at all of our friends who keep being like, what, you haven't seen this show yet? A lot of shows it's because we've decided we want to cover them on this podcast. So for either of us, if we haven't seen them, we have them on our list and then we try and preserve that Um, so there have been a bunch of times I've been about to start a show and then I wait and I text Kara like wait is that on our list and then she's like yes and it's like no I can't watch it yet I've had a bunch of people be like how have you not seen one day at a time and I'm like because it's on the list it's my fault guys but now it's also my fault that she's watching it now so yeah so one day at a time It is, I believe, out of the shows that we've covered, it is the first remake or reboot. Is that correct? I think so. I also didn't even realize it was a reboot. Yeah, I did not either at first. Or like maybe I vaguely heard it but didn't think about it very hard. But then, uh, as sometimes my family will ask for TV recommendations, and I pride myself on being able to give good recommendations. And I would say, oh, like there's this sitcom, One Day at a Time. It's new. It's like, I really like it. And then my parents are like, One Day at a Time? I know that because it is a remake of a sitcom from the 70s to 80s. I guess it ran from 1975 to like 1984-ish. It was nine seasons. So it was like very popular, very well-known, successful, a staple of that time. So so my parents, when I mentioned it, they're like, oh yeah, of course I know that show. <laughs> so they know the original, but are less familiar with the remake. Whereas people we know are probably more familiar with this remake the past few years, um, people in our generation and uh, Generation Z as well. This is an interesting remake because I guess compared to some other remakes or reboots, it's not like, it has like, I guess just the same overall concept, but like, honestly, I think it was just trying to capitalize on the familiarity of the name because otherwise the the, the only thing that it has in common is it's a single mother raising two children on her own and, you know, struggling and learning and growing from the process. That's mostly it. So like you could have, I think you could have written this show and called it something else and called it not a remake and nobody would have been like, hey, that's ripping off one day at a time. But at the same time, like having that name recognition maybe helped it get made. So Mm. it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. So I guess I can talk a little bit about how, how this remake came about. So the original show, the original One Day at a Time in 1975, that was created by Norman Lear, who is known as basically one of the most successful sitcom creators of all time, I would say. Do you think that's fair to say? I think so. 
especially in like the 70s to 80s, he had a number of very successful shows all around the same time, All in the Family, Sanford and Son, One Day at a Time, and Maud, among several others, and just really was cultivating this <laughs> this brand of sitcoms. And so, you know, Sunday nights, CBS, he had a lot of shows in that lineup, and One Day at a Time was part of that that's staple. So most of these were, you know, some variation on a family sitcom. So one day at a time, that structure was it's a single mother in the original. She had uh, two teenage daughters. Also, it was a white family. And basically, you know, just structured around like the foibles of, you know, the mistakes that you might make as a single parent, because it's really hard, but the mistakes, and then you learn from it and, you know, bonding, connecting with your kids. So that was the show. It was incredibly popular, ran for nine seasons, only ended because the actors all really wanted to move on at that point after having done it for nine years. It sounded like it was still pretty popular at the time that it was wrapping up. So yeah, by all means, a pretty successful show. Then fast forward many years later, obviously Norman Lear was incredibly successful, made lots of money, super influential, made a lot of other things in the meantime. But around 2015, he started talking about um, with his production company, Act 3 Productions, he approached Sony Pictures because he wanted to to make a remake of One Day at a Time. It was his own show. And he thought, you know, I think we I think the world could benefit from remaking a similar show, but with changes like he he wanted to change it. He wanted to make it different. And I found this article from 2015 when this was basically the first time, I guess, publicly that he had talked about the remake. And he said, I would like to do a remake with a Latino family. Um, I just love the idea because I don't see enough of that representation on the air in any place. I don't mean to say it doesn't exist. I just don't see it any place. There isn't enough of it. And I think it's a rich idea. And then also when talking about, you know, would it be a really on the nose remake or not? He said, no, there might be some changes. Uh, the kids may be a boy and a girl, and I want her to have a mother so that there are three generations of Latino women. So actually, in that quote, he's um, pointing out two of the major differences between the original and the remake. In the mm-hmm. original, she has uh, two, the mother has two daughters that are both teenagers. And in this 2017 version, Penelope, the main character, has one daughter who's 15 and one son who I think is like 11 or 12. I'm not entirely they sure. Said 12, yeah. yeah. And then also in the original show, she didn't have a live-in mother at the beginning of the show. The The mother character was introduced in season four as a guest character and then mm. was recurring for several seasons and became a main character in the final season. So also I'm wondering, I don't know for sure, but I'm wondering if like maybe incorporating the mother in the final season of the original show inspired Lear to include that from the beginning in this remake, perhaps. So yeah, those are two major differences in like the family structure. There's also some other similarities. I watched the pilot of the original version as well. Um, I didn't make Kara do this, but I was just curious since I had already seen the remake and I had seen literally none of the original show. I went and I watched just the first episode to get a sense of what it was like. And it was cute. It was charming. Honestly, like I like usually I have a harder time getting into older shows because like just the style of humor has changed but it's still it was I liked it and I noted some of the other similarities and differences the original is based in uh, Indianapolis characters have just moved to Indianapolis whereas the remake is based in California I forget exactly if it's Los Angeles or if it's just unspecified California but it's different And I already said a lot of the similarities. One other, basically the other major similarity that I didn't mention is there's a character named Schneider in both of them. In the original, there was the building superintendent named Schneider and he would always bust in wearing vests and like do something silly. But 
he is kind of more of a sleazy guy, at least in the episode I watched. Maybe he grows and changes, but he was like really sleazy and lecherous and like flirting with the mom. Whereas the Schneider in the remake is a little different (laughs) and more likable in my opinion. But that was very clearly one thing that they carried over from, from the previous into the remake. Also, they both do have the same theme song. The song, This Is It, they just made a new cover of it for the remake. Um, and it's an arrangement by Emilio Estefan and the vocals are Gloria Estefan. Oh, um, it's a wonderful little cover. I love it. So that's basically what I've covered so far is like the similarities and differences. But other than that, like, you know, it's it's just the structure that's borrowed. All of the characters are new. All of the storylines are new, obviously. And it's set in the present day. So it just takes that kind of structure and that idea, but totally is telling new stories in the present day, which I think is wonderful. Yeah. So the other interesting thing that stood out to me when I first watched it is that it is a multi-cam sitcom that is filmed in front of a studio audience, which obviously it does still exist today, but they are much less common, much less dominant today than they were in 1975, for example, or even in the 90s. The past 10 to 20 years, I feel like, laugh tracks in particular, not just like like multi-cam sitcoms, but specifically laugh tracks have been shrinking in popularity. A lot more people have been consciously growing to dislike them as, as sitcoms more and more so are adapting single camera and not using laugh tracks. So some people find it very off-putting. And I, before I had watched this, if you had asked me, I, I would have said like, oh yeah, I think that's totally out. I think it's totally passe. I, I wouldn't want to watch a show that had a laugh track. But when I watched this, I found that I actually didn't mind it that much. Yeah, um, that is actually something I didn't know about it. Um, So I was surprised when I started watching it. And then I was like, oh, wait. Yeah, me too. I was like, what? A multi-cam sitcom? Especially from Um, Netflix. I wouldn't, I I would expect, you know, I know a few of those still exist, but I would expect to see them on networks. I was not expecting a Netflix show to have a laugh track. So I was surprised at first when I first watched it, but I found as I continued that it didn't bother me at all. It felt nostalgic. Mm -hmm. I feel like it was bringing me back. I feel like a lot of my experience with like the laugh track and life and like, you know, the like the multicam sitcom are all from like the Disney Channel shows I used to Mm -hmm. watch. So like that's a Raven, Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. It brought me back to those sorts of things, Mm -hmm. which I actually really appreciated. Yeah, it I really feel brings like me back lately, to Friends. That's like the number one multicam mm. that I feel like I grew up watching. There, I feel like lately there's been this like wave of kind of tugging at people's nostalgia and heartstrings with mm. the things that like the media that we're consuming, mm-hmm. which sometimes doesn't work and mm-hmm. sometimes I think is really effective. So I feel like I feel like this did that well I was yeah. super, I was honestly like kind of excited that yeah. it was there because like what other multi-cam sitcom am I gonna watch yeah. right now yeah we can talk more about it later but I had some thoughts I had like some discussion questions about it um for later maybe we can come back to this topic after we discuss the episode and uh see what what it brings to it so Norman Lear took his own production company and he went to Sony Pictures and said let's make it happen they were like great they hired Gloria Calderon-Kellett and Mike Royce to develop the idea, and they are the co-showrunners. And basically, they worked on it together. They got a series deal from Netflix, straight to series deal for 13 episodes in 2016, and then they produced them. And the first season was uh, released in January 2017. 
So the first three seasons were each released on Netflix, you know, one, one at a time, one each year, as Netflix pretty much does. After season three, Netflix canceled the show. They said they weren't going to do it anymore. And there was this big drama because not only were they canceling it, but they like, so the, the producers and creators right away, because this had already happened to a few other shows, they said, okay, if you're going to cancel us, we want to shop it to somewhere else, another streaming service or another network. But at first Netflix, like, wasn't going to give up the rights. I, I don't remember the technical terms, but it was something where they were like, we're not going to pay for another season, but we're also not going to release the rights so that someone else can take it. So there was a big fan campaign on Twitter, on other social media, basically people saying like, Netflix, please don't do this. This story is really important to us. At least let somebody else have it if you're not going to continue it. So yeah. I guess they negotiated something because then Pop TV picked it up for a fourth season. So that was for basically this past year. The fourth season was in progress. And I think about six episodes were out when they had to shut down due to coronavirus, as many shows unfortunately did. And then due to the length of the pandemic, and I guess maybe they just weren't pulling in the numbers they needed to, Pop TV then announced they were not going to continue. They were not going to produce the rest of the fourth fourth season. They were going to leave it at the episodes that were there. And then the producers tried once again to see if they could shop it around and save it, but it didn't work out. So just a few months ago in December, they announced the show is officially over. There's going to be no more, Mm. which is just sad because I think it was a really, really great show. But I'm glad that we had the seasons that we did. I'm glad that, you know, they did. Clearly, there's a lot of passion for the show. Um, A lot of people just really love it and fought for it to save it even one time. So yeah, um, that says a lot. Mm hmm. So that's, yeah, that's kind of the drama. That's the reason a lot of people may have heard of it. Yeah. Other than that, it was, it's just been, it's been pretty well received every time a season comes out, especially when the first season came out, it got a lot of critical acclaim and got put on a lot of like best of the year lists. Although strangely, it doesn't get a lot of attention from major awards shows. They do have two Emmys and four nominations for outstanding multi-camera editing um, of a comedy, which is I guess not so surprising because there's maybe not quite as much competition in that category, multi-cam editing, but they still, you know, it's very lovely. It's very good work. I didn't mean that to like undermine their work, but yeah, I've been surprised that they've never gotten even a whiff of attention of like acting nominations at the Emmys because personally, I think both Justina Machado and Rita Moreno are like amazing, amazing in this show, but it's like award shows have certain types of- They're racist. Yeah, I think it's that. I think it's racism. And also, I feel like they're slightly biased against like multi-cam type comedies. Yeah, I'd say so. I think if not for both, like, honestly, I think it's that double whammy that held them back. I think if not for both of those factors, like they would have been getting awards attention because it's it's that good. But yeah, it's, it's appalling that that's a thing. But they have gotten a lot of attention from like other awards shows, specifically like the Imagen Awards that are specifically for Latino representation in the media and also GLAAD Awards for um, LGBTQ representation. They've been really, really good on that in a number of ways. So they've definitely gotten a lot of recognition from a lot of people, even if it isn't these particular institutions that we, you know, put so much attention on. So yeah, bottom line is it's good. It's good. And even if it's had to, you know, fight a little bit for for attention and for its place. Yeah. So I think that's basically that's basically all I have on the background. Um, I mean, I guess the casting, they announced Rita Moreno as the first cast member. Um, she was the first one that was announced when they were putting together the show. And I feel like she's the biggest get because like yeah. Rita Moreno, she's she is an EGOT. 
she is a legend. Like she's already had a bigger career than most people could have combined. So like the fact that she's on this show is definitely amazing. When they approached her for this role, they said like, oh, well, you played the grandmother on this show. And apparently she said, I'll do it as long as she is allowed to be sexual. Because I think, you know, let's not just have her be like an old, humble old lady that just like shrinks in the background. I want her to be like comfortable in her sexuality and like, you know, take up space. And they took that note and they really (laughs) took it. And then she also mentioned her quote, like, yeah, they took it a little too far sometimes. (laughs) But I think it's good. It creates a lot of humor. And it's also kind of funny because Rita Moreno is like 87 or 88 now. Um, She's playing younger. She's playing like 10 years younger than what she actually is. But she's just so, so talented, so spry, you know, for her age. It's wonderful. Yeah. And then um, Justina Machado also who plays uh, Penelope. Obviously, she's kind of the the star of the show. She had had a number, a long, a pretty long career of like guest roles and recurring roles on television for a long time, but not a lot of really major roles before this. So this, um, I don't know if it was her first main role ever. I don't think it was her first, but I did think definitely her highest profile yet. It was her first like like a big breakout for her, and I think she's also fantastic like super underrated by a lot of people. Fantastically I also enjoy under. her. I enjoy her on Jane the Virgin. Yes. Yeah. I saw Jane the Virgin before this. So then I rec- like, I recognized her from that. Yeah. She plays Darcy Factor on Jane the Virgin and she's very wonderful in that too. So I was already like, oh yeah, her. And then <laughs> I was so thrilled to see her in a main role because she does amazing, um, just amazing on this show. And then the two kids, Isabella Gomez plays Elena and Marcel Ruiz plays um, Alex. Neither of them had very many credits before this. Understandably, they're pretty young, but I think they both are really well cast in their roles. They're just very specific, very good at these two particular kids. Mm-hmm. So that's that's about it. So now we can look at the very first episode. So season one, episode one, this is it. And um, along with the rest of season one, it all was released on Netflix on January 6, 2017. So again, like a couple others we've mentioned, this, you know, being a streaming pilot, it's not exactly a pilot. They also got a straight to series order. So like they didn't, it's not like they had to sell the show based on this pilot, but it's still honestly, maybe even more so than some of the other streaming ones we've watched. I feel like this one really does introduce the characters in the world. It does kind of take care to like deliver a full episode while also introducing you to everybody. So yeah, I would agree. So we begin, we see Penelope at work. Um, She's in scrubs. She's in a doctor's office um, because she works as a nurse. And she's taking this guy Carl's blood pressure. And she's like, okay, I'm going to take your blood pressure. I'm going to ask you all these questions that you're going to lie to. (laughs) Um, So right off the bat, you know, she's very personable. She's, she's very likable down to earth. She's like, how many alcoholic beverages do you have a week? And he's like two or three. And she goes, "Mm, don't lie to me. And then she asks if he smokes. And he says, no. And she says, I can smell it on you. And he admits that he smokes Virginia Slims because they make my hands look big. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, she's got this little little back and forth uh, with this patient as she's going about her work. And then he notices on her clipboard, she's got a picture of her and some other people in army uniforms, army fatigues. And he goes, oh, was that Halloween? And she says, nope, it was actually closer to Christmas. So he's like, what? Huh? What do you mean it wasn't Halloween? You're dressed like a soldier. (laughs) He's like, not putting it together. And then she's like, I was in Afghanistan. And he's like, you went to Afghanistan on vacation? (laughs) 
And then finally, she's like, I'm going to give you a minute. And then finally he gets there. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. You were in the army. And then she like rapid fire, like, you know, answers the questions before he even has a chance to ask them. Yes, you're welcome for my service. Um, it was hot. No, I never killed anybody. Blah, blah, blah. Like she goes through the, the typical questions that people would ask uh, veterans. And then he also asks, he says, uh, is your husband a soldier too? And she says, yes, he was. And then the dude's like, oh my God, I just asked about a dead husband and now he's dead. And then she goes, okay, like, no, he's, he's still alive. He just, we're separated and he still uh, works in Afghanistan as private security. Then the dude like tries to flirt again. He's like, oh, oh God. And then she's like, no, thank you, buddy. Also, I have kids. So, you know, don't get into that. Yeah. He was like, oh, single mom. Oh yeah. no. Yeah. So that's our, that's our first scene. It's our introduction to Penelope. So what are you getting from this first scene? I'm getting that she is good at making people comfortable because mm-hmm. um, she was like really jokey with the patient and that sort of thing. I feel like she's got a good demeanor and personality to be a nurse. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's got like the right sense of humor for that. I feel mm-hmm. like she is used clearly used to these questions that she's receiving from this guy since she kind of just like immediately fired off all of the answers that she normally (laughs) gives I probably because I feel like people in their minds have a very have like a very certain picture of like what a soldier Mm -hmm. looks like and so Mm -hmm. I guess she doesn't really fit that so she's used to this and she like knows herself I feel like just from this she very much sits in who she is which I really like yeah I think that's a great way to describe her that she knows herself yeah she seems like a very self-aware person like she has a lot of strengths she has some flaws too but she seems pretty self-aware of them most of the time she is good with people she's she's good at you know communicating she's able to admit when she's wrong you know we see that later on she's she's strong she sticks by her guns but she also can back down when the situation requires it yeah so I feel like this is a really good way of introducing us to her she's going to be our main character like we have a a whole group of main characters but she's if you had to pick one it's her and so we have to like her you know for a sitcom you kind of I guess on some sitcoms everyone's unlikable but on this one it it hinges on everybody being fundamentally likable so I feel like this is kind of just inviting us in with Penelope and like she's just a very warm personality and I'm like yeah I want to watch more of this person I like her and it was like it was like such a quick scene but I was already like rooting for her yeah and it tells us just fundamentally who she is. We know she's a single mom, premise of the show. We also know she currently works as a nurse and she is a veteran of the army. That is a major difference. Like there's nothing about that whatsoever in the original show. So then the next scene, we go into our classic three wall sitcom apartment. Um, so this is our, our multi-cam studio set, which, you know, it's a little cheesy, but like you said, it's nostalgic. We can recognize that scenario. It's always got like the couch in the middle, a kitchen off to one side, some doors in the background. Yeah. Um, so it's really nice. So Penelope is trying to open the door and she's got a bunch of like groceries and stuff in her hands. So it's a little hard. And we see on the couch is um, a kid, her son, Alex, and he's sitting with his laptop and he's got headphones on and he does not hear anything. As soon as she comes in the door, she tries to get his attention and he's not, <laughs> he can't hear anything. So she says, uh, Papito, that's, that's his nickname. Uh, she says, come on, come help me. You know that I have a bum shoulder, which that doesn't seem like much in this episode, but that is something that gets followed up on in later episodes. 
I figured it was a little planting a seed. Yeah, yeah, it was. So then finally he hears her and he goes over and like grabs some of the bags, but he carries the laptop with him and stares at it the whole time. Yeah, I like that the way that she got his attention was she threw paper towels at his head. Yeah, yeah, he couldn't even hear her. She threw something at him and then he's like, oh, fine. And he goes and picks some stuff up while carrying his laptop with him, staring at it, not acknowledging her in the slightest, <laughs> which like, yep, that's that's what kids do. Because he's just, he's into whatever the heck he's watching and he does not, you know, he does not care. So then you may not have noticed up until this point, but the back wall of the living room was actually a set of curtains and then the curtains dramatically open and Rita Moreno is there and she knows how to make a grand entrance. So obviously the yeah. studio audience starts hollering as soon as she appears as they should. Yeah. <laughs> so, you I, know, I, same. She takes a minute, she, you know, you let, let the applause die out. And then she says, we have a problem. <laughs> a very dramatic entrance. And then Elena enters. Elena is um, Penelope's daughter. She comes in from like the hallway from her bedroom. She's in her school uniform. Um, she's 15. And she basically is saying she she's upset. And it, basically, it sounds like her and Lydia have been in an argument already today. Lydia says something like, I do not like her. And then Elena's like, I don't care if you like me. And then Penelope's just like, okay, sounds like you're on the same page. <laughs> um, so we get the sense, like, even if we don't explicitly know, we get the sense that perhaps Lydia and Elena fight a lot. It seems like they kind of naturally clash with each other. But anyway, in this case, Lydia is upset because Elena has announced she does not want to have a quinceanera. So that is very important to Lydia. So she's upset and wants Elena to change her mind Elena's upset because she thinks it should be her choice and also like she's like that's that's all that she's talked about she won't even listen to the fact that I made the debate team and like won't even care about this other good news but then Penelope is distracted about the whole Kinsase thing she's like wait why why do you not want to have one we've already booked the band we've already got a DJ or sorry we've already booked the hall we already got a band or well actually it's a dj um but actually it's your brother with um an ipod and a playlist but it's a good playlist <laughs> i really Playlists love are that. important they are important and honestly like i mean bands are nice and good djs are nice i don't mean to like undermine what djs do but for most part like if you're trying to budget getting a good playlist is going to give you almost the same experience for a party as a yeah, dj yeah and i feel like i feel like i would trust honestly i would trust like you know a teenager to make a good yeah. playlist. I mean, I would give Alex a little bit of supervision. Playlists. Alex might need some supervision. Yeah, maybe <laughs> he'd need help. But my sister yeah. makes really good playlists. If so. you put if you put Alex and Lydia together, I feel like they could balance each other out and come with like some modern stuff and some old fashioned stuff and and make a nice playlist. That'd be so cute. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so Penelope, it's news to her. She's like, wait, why why are you changing your mind? Why don't you want a quinces? Basically, Elena says she's done some research on the history of them, and she believes the tradition is misogynistic, so she does not want to participate in it. Then Lydia says, how else will we know the day that our little girl becomes a woman? And Elena, <laughs> without missing a beat, goes, you missed it. I was 12, it was Jim, and ironically, it was first period. <laughs> Which, <laughs> that is one of the best lines of the episode, I think. But basically, then they start this debate, like, you know, this is part of their Cuban heritage, but Elena says it's a bad part. I don't want to hold on to the bad parts. I don't want to be paraded around in front of the men of the village to be traded for two cows and a goat. And then Lydia, totally deadpan, goes, someone thinks she's worth a lot. <laughs> oh, my God. Aww. 
uh, and then uh, and then Penelope is trying to smooth things over because she's like, look, it's, you know, that's how the tradition started. But now it's basically just a party, you know, for us to get together, hang out. Um, I can get drunk. Uh, your abuelita can dance inappropriately with one of your guy friends. It's just a party. <laughs> then Lydia says something shady in Spanish. I believe she said sin vergüenza. And Elena turns her head and she's like, what did you just say about me? And, or she says, uh, what does that mean? That's what she says. And then Lydia says, it means you don't know enough Spanish to know that I'm insulting you. <laughs> um, and I don't speak Spanish, but I'm pretty sure, does that mean without shame, sinvergüenza or shameless? Yeah, there is some Spanish like sprinkled in throughout the dialogue in this show. Um, it's minimal enough that like you don't need to speak Spanish to understand anything. And it's not usually subtitled. Usually you can kind of figure it out from context, more yeah. or less what they're saying, but it's just kind of peppered in because most of the characters do speak Spanish in addition to English, um, except Elena. She is basically out of the family. She she speaks a little bit of Spanish, but not as much as the rest of them. And so that is a thing that, that comes back every so often that they're like, you should learn more Spanish. And she's like, oh, whatever. That's so interesting that the, um, the younger brother seems to know more than she yeah, does. It is interesting. And so I wonder if it's one of those things of just like, like, I'm sure they both have been exposed to it and, like, both had the opportunity and they never explicitly explain why, but the vibe that I've gotten from watching more of it is that Alex has a slightly closer relationship with Lydia and I think she mm. speaks Spanish the most because, like, she grew up, like, she immigrated, so, like, it really was her first language, whereas, you know, the rest of them, like Penelope, I assume, grew up speaking both Spanish and English. So I think Alex, because he's closer with Lydia, perhaps he picks up more of it from talking to her. Whereas that Elena is not quite as close with Lydia. It is interesting though. So yeah, basically then Elena fires back after they're all they're all like laughing a little bit at her because she didn't get the insult. But then she says, I'll learn Spanish when you learn English <laughs> to Lydia, which is just damn. Lydia, she like she has a little bit of an accent, you know, she is an immigrant. Like she she speaks fluent English, but you know, occasionally like gets the phrases a little bit different. So she's like, oh, she's very offended at that. And then uh Alex asks Penelope for her credit card. And she's like, What do you need my credit card for? She's on alert. She does not trust him. And he says, Chill out. I just need sneakers for school. You know, just 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 like five pairs of sneakers. And she's like, Why on earth would you need five pairs of sneakers? And he explains, you know, he's going to middle school. He has to care about his image. He has to impress other people. And apparently sneakers are really, really important to middle school boys. And she's like, okay, you can get one new pair of sneakers and they have to be under $40. And then yeah. Alex looks at her and he goes, mom, I know we're not rich, but are we poor? <laughs> can I interject here to say that my, my mom and my sister have had this like exact same conversation about sneakers because my sister's a really? bit of a sneaker head yeah oh, I didn't know that yeah she she has a lot of pairs of sneakers wow um, wow so this was very funny to me to sit and watch because she has also made the argument that she cannot wear the same pair that she wore the day before who's looking at your shoes I never look at people anybody's are, shoes. apparently people are looking at your shoes that's so weird to me I mean I believe that it, that in different groups of people it's important but I'm just like what who has the time to care yeah, my about sister that? has a lot of sneakers <laughs> wow but yeah, anyway, like this also reminded me of what we talked about with Dairy Girls when like they all like realized suddenly that they're poor and they didn't know it. <laughs> He's like, I know we're not rich, but are we poor? And then Penelope goes, we're, we're fine. Like <laughs> she, she really hinges on that word fine. 
but then Alex, his worldview has been shattered. He's like, oh my God, we're poor. And she goes, hey, hey, we're not poor. We have an apartment. We have a TV. We have a fridge. You have a laptop. And he goes, those are all things that poor people have. Yeah. (laughs) And she says, we have an air conditioner. And he says, yeah, but you never let us turn it on. And she says, but you could. And that's what's important. Except don't ever touch it. Yeah. (laughs) I really love that exchange. Basically, he's Alex leaves this argument annoyed because he really wanted his sneakers and, you know, whatever. She said he could only have the one pair. But then uh, Penelope tries to gather everyone's attention because she's like, look, you know, I I got home from the grocery store before everyone sidetracked me. Like, I'm going to start cooking dinner. You guys come help me. We're going to have Friday night family dinners. And it sounds like this thing that she was all hyped up about. Um, and she's like, I got I got some nice meat. It was discounted because it's almost about to go off. But if we eat it tonight, it's fine. <laughs> but then everyone's just kind of awkward. And then she realizes that basically they ate dinner without her. Lydia cooked um, some ropa vieja and yeah so they all ate without her and she's like come on guys I told you I said I wanted to have dinner tonight and they're like you know they feel bad but it was like it sounds like she was working late and you know it was a little iffy so she's like you know whatever we'll we'll start our family dinners next Friday so then uh the kids basically go to their rooms Penelope is still cooking you know gonna cook for herself she notices that the the sink isn't working um and Lydia mentions that she already told Schneider uh we don't know who that is yet but little intro to that character And then Penelope basically says to her mom, she says, like, I appreciate your help, but I really want you to help me establish my own family traditions. I said I wanted to do Friday night dinner. So, like, could you please respect that instead of cooking for the kids? Lydia just kind of ignores that and goes right back to the quinceanera issue. She's like, you have to make her, you have to tell Elena she has to do a quinceanera. It's so important. And Penelope, she's like look, I agree with you. I want her to do it too, but I have to be careful. Um, you know, I, I'm a single mother. It's all on me now. So I have to handle it right. So there, that's kind of like the crux of the show. That's the main conflict is like, she really wants to do right by her kids, but mm-hmm. making the decisions alone is really hard. And then Lydia, oh, she says the most, she kind of twists the knife. She goes, a father would make sure his little girl had it, which is oof, just just an unfair thing to say. Um, and then uh, Penelope, she's in the middle of cooking her dinner with her, her sad meat. And she goes, do you really want to say that to me while I have a meat tenderizer in my hand? <laughs> it's good, good comic timing there. And then um, Penelope is clearly getting frustrated. So she goes, you know, remember when you moved in with me and you said that anytime I wanted you to go away, I could just say go away. And then Lydia's like, yeah, what? So, and? <laughs> and then Penelope glares at her and she's like, fine, I will leave. And then she goes into her room. Her bedroom is basically just the back half of the living room, but it's behind those curtains. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing that shows that they're maybe not rich. Um, They don't have an extra bedroom for her. So she goes into her little bedroom and then she dramatically closes the curtains. She tries to like slam the curtains. (laughs) She's good for an entrance and an exit. So then once she's gone, Penelope kind of like, you know, collapses a little bit. And then she's like, looks at her meat and it seems like a lot of work. So she looks at the little container of the ropa vieja that Lydia had made earlier. And she like sneakily takes it and she coughs. So like you can't hear the sound of her opening it. And she's about to eat some. But then even though she was perfectly silent, you hear Lydia say from the other room, you're welcome. Because she knew. <laughs> she knew. And then that's like the end of our first little family scene. So yeah, let's do another check-in. What's your vibe on this whole family dynamic? I like having the kids that are like close in age, but like at slightly different points in their lives. Mm -hmm. 
because like Elena's 15 and Alex is 12 they and they both clearly are are set up that they have things that are important to them like Alex has Mm -hmm. his sneakers um he's very he seems I I can tell he's like concerned with what his image is Mm -hmm. it feels like very middle school it's Mm -hmm. like I have to give off a certain vibe that sort of thing which is yeah (laughs) um also I feel like that kind of carries over into you know the rest of life at times but I feel like middle school is like the moment where that becomes a thing and you start really like first become conscious of your image and then you Mm -hmm. become hyper conscious because yeah you you understand it for the first time Uh uh-huh Elena very clearly has values that she wants to stick to and it's it's that thing of like um as you know teenagers um start to get older and they start to form their own opinions which is also interesting because that can then at time clash with their elders and I know in some sort of like cultural there's like a cultural dynamic there that I kind of I kind of like related to a little bit in terms Mm -hmm. of like you know um in black black family structure where it's like you know there's this whole thing of you have to respect your elders um so which I also think kind of carries over in Latino culture as well Mm -hmm. so I think that it uh Lydia and Elena's relationship is kind of showing that dynamic a little bit which is Mm -hmm. interesting the sort of like yeah you can be your own person but also like that's your grandma so (laughs) some of their like some of their jabs I feel like that they were having back and forth with with each other every now and again I was like oh 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 no um because I was yeah um in sort of the thinking of like oh what if I had said that to my grandmother I was like oh (laughs) yeah Um, it does seem like as a unit there I mean the respect is very important but also probably because it's a sitcom so they have to let the characters do this they do seem fairly comfortable with like insulting each other and then apologizing and getting over it more so than real families probably would be yeah I feel like and it's nice they're clearly they all also clearly care about each other Mm -hmm. which adds to the nice wholesome vibe of this show yeah even when they're fighting with each other it's always because they really care and like they they want the best for each other they just disagree about how to do it in that moment Mm -hmm. um so yeah there always is that love and that care underneath it all also what you were saying kind of segues into something I was thinking about and I was maybe going to bring up at the end but I guess I can bring it up now and we can look at the rest of the episode in this lens I was thinking about how like I really like how this show uses culture in that it's a part of the world and it informs the characters and makes it feel very real and specific, you know, and relatable, even if you are not Cuban, for example, even if you're not from the exact culture, something about just the family life being so infused with certain cultural values, even if you are not of that same culture, I feel like a lot of those aspects of how it interacts with the family life are relatable and you can kind of relate them to whatever culture you may be from because I was thinking like there are certain other things about this that I feel like I can kind of relate to in my Jewish family structure even though it's not the same like all this hullabaloo around the quinces I was I'm thinking about like planning for a bar bat mitzvah that's always a huge thing and like the kids might have certain feelings about it but ultimately it's more so about like the parents and the tradition and there's a lot of these decisions that have to be made and there can be a lot of tension around it so some things like that and like It also reminds me of something that um, a playwriting teacher said to me once, and I think is one of the most helpful pieces of writing advice I've ever heard, which is to find the universal within the specific. And I think this show really demonstrates what that means. It's like, 
some people will try and make their characters like general and like not put specific traits on them aka make them white cis straight and not put, not put any other quote-unquote diverse things on them that's usually what it means but also like in terms of character traits like not put anything too specific on them so that maybe everyone can see themselves if they make it vague enough everyone can project onto it but that usually backfires it usually prevents people from connecting with her characters but if you make them very specific in terms of their personality in terms of their background in terms of their circumstances and interests that usually works to your advantage and actually helps people connect to them more even if they don't have that thing literally in common with the characters it invites them to find oh but like you know even if I'm not you know like Elena even if I'm not super into social justice I can see how passionate she is and there are other causes that I would fight for like that or Mm -hmm. you know even if it's not the quinceanera that is my personal tradition what are some of my family's or my culture's traditions that I would fight for and that would be important for my kids and grandkids to go through you know you can you can relate to the feelings behind it even if the literal circumstances are different and I think this this show does a really really good job at that yeah and I think that I feel like people searching for ways to make characters relatable it doesn't even necessarily have to be about their traits it can also be about the situations that you put them in Mm -hmm. which I feel like is also pretty like in a it's in a situational comedy that's like something that you'd be thinking about it's like yeah how would this character react when you put them in this set of circumstances and I think that there's different ways to find relatability and it doesn't have it doesn't necessarily have to do with everyone relating to the exact lived experiences Mm -hmm. of the character yeah exactly because I mean to put it more obviously like how many think of your own favorite tv characters listener I invite you right now think of a few of your favorite characters how many of them are the same like how many of them have the same job as you maybe one, probably zero. How many of them live in the same area as you? How many of them had the same background growing up as you? Maybe some, you know, maybe sometimes people relate to characters with a similar background, but like if you go through like the checklist of who your favorite characters are, the literal things, you probably won't have that many things in common. Like the actual things those characters have been through, especially if you like, you know, more fantastical TV shows. But if you think about why do I like them or why do I relate to them, you'll probably start thinking of some traits. Oh, because, you know, they're very analytical like I am or because they have a good sense of humor or because like they always are like very anxious and I relate to that. So, you know, you find mm-hmm. those things to relate to that are not literally the character's circumstances, but you wouldn't know about those traits if they didn't have those circumstances to bring them out and show yeah. them to you. So that's why you need those specific circumstances so that it can bring out the universal relatable qualities of your character. Mm-hmm. So that's also the the place we paused this uh, sitcom because it's like not on network because there are no commercial breaks. There's not a really obvious act structure, but I feel like that is the moment that would be kind of the end of act one for this script. So then uh, we, we kind of like fade out and we fade in again. It's appears to be the next day maybe and they're in the apartment and then a guy knocks on the door and comes in and it's Schneider um, so he's the the building super and he also kind of functions as the handyman he's got his tool belt and stuff and he's also got a brand new handlebar mustache I mean we don't know that it's new because we've never seen him before but the, the other characters point out oh you got a new mustache and he's really proud of it and he's like oh but like what do you think Penelope like let, let, let me know what do you think and she first says that he looks like a lion tamer uh and he's like a little discouraged and then she's like wait 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 let me let me try again and then she says you're 40 and you look stupid (laughs) yeah which 
He did. Handlebar mustaches should be abolished. Yeah, I don't think anybody looks good with that. I think they're very stupid. Yeah. So then he like looks discouraged, but then he just rips it off of his face. It turns out it was fake. And he was like, I had to put on a fake one to get people's reactions before I grew out a real one, which was a good call, sir. That was smart. That was smart. (laughs) But he says, hey, just so you guys know, I was invited to several pride parades and he's proud of it. So good for you, Schneider. He uh, he comes in and he starts to fix the sink while he's talking to Penelope. Um, and she says, uh, you know, you're the only non-Latino I trust to fix stuff. Is that racist? And she thinks about it for a minute. And then she's like, who cares? It's only us here. <laughs> and then he like he laughs and then he starts trying to say something in Spanish. And then she goes, don't do that. And he's no. like, you know, I as soon as I did it, I regretted it. <laughs> Which <laughs> I like Schneider because like he like, he bumbles and like he gets things wrong sometimes but he also like always apologizes i feel like schneider is non-toxic masculinity that's how i would describe him <laughs> he's so enjoyable yeah yeah he's a lovable doof so yeah definitely an improvement over the original schneider who as i said was kind of just a sleazy lech who just wanted to sleep with all of the women in the building apparently Anyway, so uh, Schneider starts working on the sink and he kind of tries to weasel his way into an invitation to dinner. And Penelope's like, you've been eating dinner here a lot lately, huh? And then Schneider goes, I know, I love it too. (laughs) Which just, he is so oblivious, like he can't really pick up on if people are subtly shading him. You have to be very direct with him. Um, So yeah, it's like he clearly loves the family a lot and loves spending time with them. And I mean, it looks like they like him too, but also it's a little bit weird sometimes that this man (laughs) maybe weaseling into their family and he starts reminiscing about other times that he's eaten with them and specifically one time after he got his five-year sober chip and Lydia made him a cake but it turned out it was a rum cake so he couldn't eat it also that was a time check because he mentioned that it had been like 10 months since they moved in oh oh I didn't even clock that yeah that's good so Um, that was good for me because um and there were a couple of other clues mm -hmm. that you know they're still they're still getting used to this living arrangement like the fact that Penelope said she wanted to establish her own traditions Mm -hmm. to Lydia earlier and that sort of thing but this was like the first clear 10 months have passed since they started this new life that they're leading Yeah. yeah yeah thank you for noticing that I didn't even it just breezed right by me And that's also, I guess, a slight difference from the other show, because I think in the other show, it started like right when they had moved in or like a lot closer to right after they had moved in. Um, So here it's like Mm -hmm. they're kind of settled, but it's still relatively new. You know, it's not it's not a totally permanent forever kind of thing for them. Oh, then Schneider, he's like, oh, I by the way, when I was I was taking out the trash or whatever, I noticed you uh, thrown out these pills by accident so I'm gonna give them back to you because it looked important like it was a full bottle of medication and then Penelope's like oh no I meant to throw those out I do not want them and she threw them in the trash again and he's like um do you want to talk about that because it seems like something's going on and then um Penelope confesses that they are antidepressants and Dr. Berkowitz the doctor with whom she works at his practice um he prescribed them to her because he thought that she would need them but then she's like I I really don't need them you know I think it was just a mistake I'm just gonna throw them out and she also mentions that like if Lydia found out she would have some comments about it so she's like better to just get rid of it 
Um, and then at that moment, Lydia comes out from her curtains and she comes out and she's a little bit flirty with Schneider. She's like, oh, a Schneider, like, I miss your mustache. I, it always made me laugh. <laughs> um, and yeah, so he was excited for a minute and then he was sad again when she said it made her laugh. Yeah, he was like, that's not the reaction he was hoping for. No, it was not. So then Lydia um, calls Elena out of her room and wants to talk about the quinceas again, wants to try and convince her. She says, I have something I think is going to convince you. So Elena's like, okay, I'll look at it. And she pulls out this album, this big shiny album, and opens to a page of pictures of the most awkward, like, teenage photos in the big, you know, a fancy white dress and a tiara, but with braces and the most awkward smile. And then she goes, this could be you. (laughs) And Elena's like... Well, I'm definitely never doing it now. And then Penelope comes over and she's like, oh my God, oh my God, like I never want to see those again. So it turns out they're her photos of her from her quinceanera. And then, oh, Schneider says something like, I knew you'd come around. And then the rest of them are like, no, she has not come around. She didn't change her mind. But then Schneider's like, hold on, ladies, I'll convince her. I know how to talk to the youths because I volunteered one time. <laughs> Oh my God. And he goes over to Elena and he goes, hey girl, how you living? Your abuela wants to throw you a sick kickback on a Saturday. You down? <laughs> and, and Elena's just so weirded out. She like doesn't even know how to respond. I want to know how the kids that he talked to at like the youth center reacted to him. Because Probably he the said same it, way. He said it like he like they like were impacted or something by it. But I get the feeling they were just making fun of him. Yeah. Well, like I said, um, Schneider, he's not the best at picking up on subtle cues. He kind of needs mm-hmm. you to be direct in order to pick up on things. Yeah, they were he's always well-intentioned, so but him. he doesn't get the little cues. Then uh, basically Penelope is like, okay, whatever, Schneider, go away. But like, let's settle this. Elena, let's let's settle this. Let's make it a debate, okay? Because you like to debate, but we're going to do that that kind of debate that you told me about. We're going to argue the opposite perspective of what we actually think so we can understand each other. And then Elena goes, oh, uh, a Lincoln-Douglas debate? My specialty? You're screwed because I once successfully argued against gravity. <laughs> I'm like, I would really like to hear that debate where she like got people to believe gravity was not real. Yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. So yeah, so basically they both get ready. They both get kind of hyped up. Penelope takes her earrings out and they're like, okay, we're going to argue each other. So Elena is going to argue Penelope's point of view and Penelope is going to argue Elena's point of view. And everybody else gets on the couch and they're all ready to watch because it's all dramatic. Um, Get the popcorn. Elena starts. She begins imitating Penelope with some very exaggerated like voice and movements, like making fun of her mom. And she's like, oh, yeah, Elena, it's why are you so against this? It's just about the village celebrating you're a woman, but it's not literally a village. It's also your family and friends. So what's so bad about them celebrating you? As I was saying this, I just in my head heard Will from Single Parents going, it takes a village. That just popped into my head I was re- as I was reading it, and I was like, oh my god. It was a lot of village in one sentence. Yeah, it was a lot of village. It just triggered my memories. So yeah, so she makes that point, and then she also does like some little like movements that are like to make fun of uh, Penelope, and then Penelope goes, wait, I got better moves than that, right? And the whole family is like, eh, it's kind of spot on. 
So then Penelope is like, okay, it's my turn. So she steals Elena's beanie and her glasses and she puts them on and she starts doing an imitation of Elena. And she's like, oh my God, mom, you're saying that my adulthood has to be approved by all of your friends? Pass. And she does this really exaggerated teenager imitation and then looks at the family like for approval. And Lydia's just like, oh, I'm not going to clap for that. No, but they do not care for her performance. So then Elena continues in her character and she starts giving examples like about how you, Elena, you know, like talking about her own past, how you've ruined these past religious milestones for the family. Apparently she wouldn't take her first communion because she thought it was not vegetarian to eat the body of Christ. And and she wouldn't take pictures with Santa because she was in a fight with uh, Lydia because Lydia wouldn't admit that Christmas was a pagan ritual originally. (laughs) So basically um, she's... She's quote unquote ruined these religious things in the past. So, and then she's like, why can't you do this one thing for your mother? This one little religious thing. And then Penelope in character as Elena, she goes, okay, mom, I'll do it. (laughs) And Elena's like, what? And then Penelope's like, surprise, you just argued all of these reasons why you should do it. And you're right. You win because you proved that you you should have a quinceace. And then and then she's like, oh, my God, you set me up. And she's like, hell yeah, I set you up. And you said a bunch of stuff I never even thought of. So you proved the point. Elena was bamboozled. (laughs) Yeah, she was bamboozled. That was a really clever idea by Penelope. Mm -hmm. But then Elena's kind of like, that's not fair. You can't just flip it on me and say, now I have to do it because of the debate she still isn't really convinced and then Penelope basically just says um you know accept it you know it's what we do you have to do it and then Elena's really pissed off and she starts rambling in Spanish and runs off to her room and then Lydia's like oh I guess she can speak Spanish (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so that's the end of the debate Penelope was trying something out it was like kind of a good idea of a parenting tactic but then at the end she just kind of flipped it on Elena and Elena's not too happy about it so yeah so like it was like clever but it really backfired yeah it's clever but also at the same time you can't really haha gotcha your way in parenting yeah um so like that's not actually gonna make it work like you can't get them on a technicality like that so so then our next scene we see Penelope back at work with Dr. Berkowitz we meet him for the first time and he is played by Stephen Tobolowski who we've we seen on him in everything. Yeah, he's in a lot of things. He's in Glee and the Mini Project and in this some of the other shows that are on our future list. I think he's also in so he just we'll is see always him again around. soon. Anyway, he's uh, Dr. Berkowitz and they're talking about, oh, there's another patient, Mrs. Doyle, and she always calls Penelope Maria and Penelope is pissed about that, obviously. And Dr. Berkowitz is like, she has Alzheimer's. And then Penelope's he's like, oh my God, I'm sorry. And then he goes, no, I'm kidding. She's just racist. Oh my God. <laughs> then basically Dr. Berkowitz is like, I can tell, you know, like something's up. Like you seem a little bit unhappy. What's going on? And Penelope explains the whole thing that's going on with Elena. And Dr. Berkowitz is like, yeah, I get it. It's, it's really hard being a parent, but it gets better. Eventually, they leave because <laughs> he has adult <laughs> children. But it's implied that he still has some difficulties with his adult children. And then so, you know, Penelope explains she's just feeling stressed out. It's a lot of pressure being a single parent. You know, for every decision, she has to think, is this going to be the one that's going to scar them for life? <laughs> and then Dr. Berkowitz says, in my case, the answer is always yes. Oh my God, (laughs) poor man. And then he asks her about the antidepressants 
And she admits that she threw them out. She didn't want to take them. And he's like, hey, you know, you told me that you were having nightmares and that you were having all these other symptoms. You know, I really think you should try it because if you were having, you know, if you were having symptoms with any other part of your body, like if I gave you heart medication, you would take it. Penelope's like, okay, I see your point. But also to be clear, I would not take the heart crap either. As a nurse, I would recommend it. But as a Cuban, I suffer in silence. (laughs) And then Dr. Berkowitz says, a silent Cuban. I'd like to meet one of those. And he starts laughing and laughing. And then he sees her face and he's like, oh, nope, that was not my joke to make. (laughs) (laughs) Not the moment. But then uh, Penelope's phone dings and it's a notification that she got a package delivered. And she's like, I didn't order anything. And then she gets a whole bunch more dings all at once. And -hmm. it's like, "Uh uh-oh. I also noticed in this scene, there was another like seed that it planted mm-hmm. for something I assume is going to come back later. I think Dr. Dr. Berkowitz like mentioned her nightmares that she was having. So I was thinking, I was like, oh, well, sh- if she was in the army, maybe she's having a little bit of PTSD, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely, that is another thing that does come back. So then Penelope goes back home. Um, Lydia and Schneider are already there. Schneider asks Lydia if he can bring three guests to the quinceañera because he's juggling a bunch of girls at the moment. And it's very funny because for all of Schneider's foibles, he does very well with the ladies, which I guess makes sense because he's a decently good looking guy and also he's rich. Yeah, I would be, I feel like I would be pretty charmed by Schneider if he were real. Like, he's a doof sometimes, but he's always well-intentioned, and he looks not bad. He's, maybe he's, like, an, I think that, so I've been speaking with Adina about, like, my (laughs) white boy character type uh, that I enjoy, which is basically whatever Sawyer on Lost and Murphy on The 100 are, it's, like, that or this type of white guy. Uh, Yeah. Or also, but then another one, whatever Elliot on The Magicians is, that's another one. So a gay boy? Yeah, I guess, yeah, like a sad, not necessarily gay. Well, he yeah, I know he's gay, not. But like Sorry. sad. Maybe he kind of fits into the like Sawyer Murphy archetype a little bit, but not as much. Mm. Well, you can update us on it next week yeah. <laughs> when we talk but about yeah, that. But yeah, Schneider is like the opposite end of that spectrum. On the the like uh, himbo versus snarky spectrum, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A maybe a little bit of like what styles from teen wolf is yeah that is my um, other specific white boy character type i enjoy um he's not white but i'm also thinking of josh chan a little bit from uh, mm. crazy ex-girlfriend anyway 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 he's talking to lydia but then penelope comes in she's got a huge stack of boxes in her hands and she is furious with Alex but he's sitting on his laptop he's she's like screaming at him and then Lydia says he cannot hear you he is possessed by the Jew tube <laughs> because part of her accent is like she, sometimes wise become J's <laughs> so it comes out as a Jew tube and then basically Penelope like yanks off his uh, headphones. He's like, I can explain. And she says, you can explain how one pair of sneakers magically became five pairs because that is some Jesus crap. And then she she just before any time even goes by, she goes, sorry, I said Jesus so close to the word crap. And then yeah. Lydia crosses herself and she's like, thank God. This is an interesting to me because the way that she just let Alex use the credit card. I feel like had this interaction happened in my house, my mother or my father would have sat down with my sister and been like, all right, what are you getting? And then put their stuff in because 
something like that would have been pulled. I feel like that's going to happen the next time Alex needs something, but I guess maybe she was just trying to give him a chance to be responsible. But anyway, Alex is like, no, like I didn't buy five pairs. Um, I'm not going to spend all the money. There's free returns. There's free returns. Um, I actually got six pairs. He points to the shoes that he has on right now, but there's free returns. So as long as I keep the shoes clean, I can buy new pairs every week, wear them a couple times and then return them. So I can wear as many as I want and we don't actually have to spend the money, which seems like an okay idea. But Penelope's like, okay, there's no way you're going to be able to keep those sneakers clean. And then he points to the ones he's been wearing all day. They look very clean. And then she says, what about the bottoms? She points at the bottom and there's dirt on it. And then Alex gets the most smug grin and he pulls off. He had like a false bottom on the shoe and he pulls it off and the real bottom is clean. And Schneider was so impressed by this. Schneider was, his mind was blown. He was like, get him on Shark Tank. (laughs) But like, why would that be applicable? Who would need the bottoms of their shoes to not get dirty? Who would buy that product? I don't know. Maybe people doing the same thing. I don't know. Schneider seems like he might also have expensive shoes, so maybe he wants it. But yeah, he was he was absolutely mind blown. And Penelope is mad because basically she's like, it it doesn't matter if we actually like if it's gonna work out with the money. The point is I gave you a guideline and you disobeyed it, and that's not okay. She's like, now you're gonna get no sneakers. You're gonna return all of these and you are gonna wear Elena's old sneakers, the pink sparkly ones with the multicultural princesses. which uh, she didn't never liked them because they were too gendered, but she did like that they were diverse. (laughs) And Alex is really upset at this, obviously. He doesn't want to wear princess sneakers to school, so he storms off to his room. Oh, wait, actually, no, he doesn't storm off yet. He says he fights more. He says, don't you have more money now that Poppy's gone? Um, Because you have a job, and also he sends you money. So, like, why can't we spend the money on sneakers? And then, obviously, that like brooches something so uh penelope she sends schneider away and then she makes alex come and sit at the table and she sits next to him for a serious moment she says look okay your your dad does send me some money but it's not a lot you know he's doing his best but it's not a lot and it only goes to the basic stuff so when it comes to money i'm your daddy um and she says you're gonna return all of those sneakers end of discussion and then alex goes off to his room and he's upset but before Penelope has a chance to recover from that, Elena comes in and she goes, oh, can you sign this test for me? And Penelope looks and it turns out she got a D on the test. And she's like, what? How did you get a D in social studies? You're so good at social studies. And Elena's all like, uh, she's just all smug. And she's like, well, you know, I don't really need to worry about social studies now that I'm just going to be chattel. And <laughs> when I... I don't, I I can spend less time on schoolwork. So I have more time to focus on planning my quinces. So she clearly, this is her gotcha moment. She's like, haha, I won't try in school if you make me do this. But Penelope is really pissed off. She's like, you can't pull this crap just to make a point. Like I bust my ass so that you can go to a good school and get good opportunities. This isn't a joke. Like, I can't even talk to you right now. Go to your room. She sends Elena to her room as well. But Elena, she has some parting words too. She says, like, you keep telling me you want me to be a strong woman like you, but then when I actually assert my opinion and say that I don't want to do something because I find it misogynistic, you told me to shut up and do it anyway. So which is it, mom? Which is mm. kind of I wrote, oh, she had a point there. Yeah, it is, it is a pretty good point. Uh, but then she goes to her room. And then Penelope has a moment alone and she's clearly like very shaken by these two arguments she just had with her kids because it's tough and she just looks exhausted and she takes out the antidepressants um and she looks like she's about to take some 
And then Lydia comes out and she sees it. She basically asks what what it is, but Penelope says, "Look, it's antidepressants. I'm 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 taking them. I don't want to hear about it." But then Lydia says, uh, "You don't need drugs." She's like, "Don't take drugs. You don't need drugs. You need your husband." And that was not really the right thing to say. Uh, Penelope gets pissed off and she's like, Victor is not the answer. And here's where we basically find out kind of the situation of why she is raising the kids alone, what happened with their marriage. So basically, they both served in the army several years ago um, in Afghanistan. Then they had their kids. But Victor recently went back to Afghanistan to work in private security. And that's why they broke up because Penelope did not want him to go back. But, you know, Lydia is like, oh, he's just trying to be a good provider. You know, he's he's making money over there and sending it back for the family. But Penelope says, you know, there's jobs here where they don't shoot at you. And then Lydia says, we live in America. Name one. Oh, my God. <laughs> good point. Good point. But still, literally speaking, there are jobs where you at least get shot at less. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then Penelope's like, we we had other problems in our marriage. That was not the only thing. But Lydia says, we are Cuban. We don't get divorced. We die. So for her, she clearly is holding on to a little bit of emotional baggage about this divorce. She It seems like she doesn't fully approve of the divorce that Penelope got. Um, so there's some tension there. But then Penelope kind of breaks down a little bit. She explains like, look, this isn't what I wanted. Obviously, I didn't want to be doing this alone. I wanted a partner. I wanted someone to be there when it's hard to like look at each other and say the kids are crazy. Also someone to be there to share the happy moments. I wanted a partner. I miss all the good stuff that we had together um, because sometimes you just need someone to give you a hug and say, I got you. Um, and she's crying a little bit. And I just want to say again, Justina Machado, fantastic job in this. Throughout the entire show, she is so, so good at navigating both the comedy and also the serious emotional moments. She's just um, an impeccable performer. So this is very, very sad. And then Lydia, she like, she hears all of this. She's kind of taking it in for a minute. It's quiet. And then she opens her arms for a hug. <laughs> but then Penelope's like, I meant a man. <laughs> <laughs> But Lydia's like, you know, she knows that, but she's still trying to be there for her daughter. She says, I am very strong. And then she takes <laughs> Penelope in her arms and says, I got you and hugs her tight. Yeah. And it's really, really sweet. So again, we get that even if they disagree about some things, they will always be there for each other. They always care about each other, mm-hmm. which is really nice. So I guess that's kind of like a little pause moment as well. What are you thinking by this point in the episode? This was a good moment to do this reveal. I feel like it gave us a lot of information and I guess things I had questions about because mm-hmm. no, I did know that the, I did know that they were like, you know, divorced, mm-hmm. but um, I guess that maybe if you were coming into this show blind, you might be like Carl, the patient at the beginning mm-hmm. and think, oh, the husband's dead, but he's not, he just isn't with the family anymore. So I feel like you have to like see your main character. I feel like in a lower moment and I feel like this moment was coming because um, she Penelope's been having a lot going on. Like, and then I think that that added on top of the fight she just had with Alex and then the fight she just mm-hmm. had with Elena. And she's like, I can't handle this right now. So it's like, I feel like at the beginning of the show, you see her trying to navigate uh, being a single parent. And I, it feels like she's kind of got it in the bag. She's like, mm-hmm. I can do this. This is good. And then right here, closer to the end of the episode, you see that she is actually really struggling. And it's like, there's, it's not just the fact that, you know, she's a single mom, like, it's clear that there's a lot of other stuff going on on top of it. She's 
also like clearly lonely and I think she's having she's also clearly maybe having some issues from you know her past job so there's a lot going on and I think that this moment is really good in showing that it's not just one thing it is a lot of things and she's having a tough time yeah I agree I definitely agree with everything you just said um and also just like structurally to compare it to a couple other shows that are, I guess, not overall that similar because they're not sitcoms, but a couple other shows we have watched where the main character is established as being like really together, really good at their job, really personable, but then we see them break down about three quarters of the way through the episode. Scandal, Scandal did that, Olivia Pope. She was like Mm -hmm. super put together, intimidating, professional, whatever, but then we see her break down a little bit when we're exposed to her personal situation. Mm -hmm. And also Gilmore Girls a bit. Uh, Lorelai, she's shown as like very, very put together, very charming for most of the episode, but then finally... And like, even when she struggles a little bit with her parents initially, but then it isn't until later when they're at dinner, when she actually like breaks down a little bit. Yeah. Um, and like, even a little bit on um Lost, that thing hmm. where Jack yeah. is like, you know, I'm the doctor, I'm going around saving everyone. And then like in moments where he's by himself, he's clearly freaking out. Yeah, yeah um, definitely. Things like that. And honestly, I think if we went through more shows, I'm sure we could list more. But yeah. I think especially for shows that overall fall into the, this is going to sound weird when I say it, they fall into the comedy category in the sense of just like comedy as in like they are working towards a happy ending and towards characters improving themselves overall rather Mm -hmm. than just drama. Um, I think for a show that is in that overall category, that's like focusing overall on the good of people and on people making progress, it makes sense to have that breakdown towards, you know, about 75% of the way through an episode, but also specifically your pilot episode. Because you have to see the good and then you have to see what's hard and how it does break down on them but then how they pick themselves back up again yeah um so that is a good thing you can think about if you're trying to structure a character arc in a pilot uh potentially try and get them to a low point three quarters of the way through you know with all the things that have been building up over the whole episode suddenly you know they fall down but then find a way to keep going because on tv you always want to keep going pick yourself up for the next episode great so yeah so then after that moment of like her mom um, hugging her Penelope she kind of finds the strength to go on she goes to Alex in his room we see right away we see his shoes uh, he's now wearing Elena's princess sneakers and they are very pink and very sparkly they're so ugly they're really ugly like the description like, why would, who bought them. those why they were diverse Kara <laughs> no no <laughs> I don't care that they were diverse they were bad So Alex, like, he doesn't look super happy about it. But when Penelope comes in, he's like, you know, I I think I can try to rock these. He's trying to be a good sport about it and, like, work with some confidence. But then she comes in and she hands him a box. She says, look, I saw that the first pair of sneakers you bought actually was under $40. So you did do the right thing first before you did the wrong thing a whole bunch of times. (laughs) So you get, you know, you can keep these sneakers. We're returning the rest, but you can keep this one pair, which I think that's the right call because like she already chewed him out. Like he learned the lesson, but he can still have some shoes for the new school year. You know, kids are stupid. You know, sometimes you got to just let them off. So then he's very happy. He's like, you know, I was trying to put on a brave face, but even the nuns would have made fun of me for those sneakers. As they should. They were bad. (laughs) Yeah, they were bad. And then basically Penelope says, look, you know, you don't need to try and you don't need to be the man of the house. You're 12 years old. Like, just be a kid. And then he's like, yeah. And you know, you're right too, mom. Because why do I need to worry about what's down here on my feed uh, when I got so much going on up here? And he points at his face. (laughs) He's very confident for a 12 year old. Uh, And then Penelope just goes, oh, puberty is going to hit you like a train. 
Oh, uh, sweet kid. And then Penelope goes into Elena and Elena is reading on her bed. And Penelope, she starts off by apologizing. She says, look, I'm sorry about earlier. We're going to have no more yelling. Um, uh, but I just want you to know I heard what you said and you don't have to do a keen say if you don't want to. You know, and she kind of apologizes. She's like, not not because of that stupid test thing. Like, I don't want you to think that that worked. That's not why you got your way. Because um, if you do that again, I will put my tiara on you while you sleep and then post it on Instagram. <laughs> um, but then she basically says, like, look, the reason I changed my mind is because you made a good point. You know, you're right that you should you should have your own values and I should let you do that. And I think I was just, you know, I was making it about myself because I wanted to I really wanted to have a keen say to show you to my friends and basically say, show like, look, isn't this single mom doing a good job with her kid? Yeah. And she like apologizes. I'm sorry that I made it about me. But then Elena, Elena stops. She's like, oh, oh, wait, no, that there's a little other bit in their conversation. She says, like, I get I get why you don't like it because you made some good points about misogyny. But also there's a lot of traditions, good traditions that started for bad reasons, like marriage, uh, because basically that started as women being property passed from a father to a husband. And like, yeah. she points out how that was not great, but marriage is a good thing today. And Elena's like, I didn't know you were such a feminist because usually you just sound like a mom. <laughs> And she's like, well, I am a mom, but I'm also a person. Moms are multifaceted. They are. They really are. And then Penelope is like, I'm so like, it's just weird to me that you're growing up and you're not a little girl anymore. And then she apologizes for making it about her. And she just wanted to show that she was doing well as a single mom, but it was dumb. And then Elena, she kind of is taken aback for a moment. And then Elena goes, no, yeah, yeah, that's, that's not dumb. That's not dumb. Anybody who thinks you're not doing a good job, they're dumb. So I want to do it. And Penelope is like, what? And Elena says, I just wanted one good reason to do it. And you just gave me a good reason because I want to show all your friends. I want to do it for you. I want to show all your friends that we're going to have the greatest quinceas ever and show them that all the single moms are doing great because Elena loves a cause. So now that she yeah. has a cause that's good, um, <laughs> she says, I will dress like a child bride for you, mom, <laughs> which is just really sweet. And then, and then Penelope, she's like, she's like, you're sure? And then she's really, she's really excited and happy. I and mean, she says, you know, your Abuelita taught me life can be tough. So when you get something to celebrate, you take it and also take photos, which that's a good motto. I like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I like that. And then she says, you know, someday you can use those pictures to scare your grandchildren. And then, or, oh, she says, I'm going to use your pictures to scare your children. And then Elena goes, oh, I'm not going to have children. And Penelope just smiles and like, <laughs> looks like she's about to shatter. And then she just goes, not today. We're not having that argument today. Well, at least she's got another kid. Yeah. Yeah. I, but she realizes now is not the moment. She's like, nope. Also, she's, like, she's I, 15. So, yeah. you know, could change your mind or not. But it's not the argument to have right now. No. Then, you know, finally, uh, she's made things right with both of her kids. Then we see Penelope in bed. Oh, but also one bit I left out of the, the argument earlier was Penelope said that she hasn't been able to sneak. She hasn't been able to sleep ever since Victor um, has been gone because they used to spoon in bed and she just she has trouble sleeping alone now and she has nightmares. So she's in bed, but she's awake, you know, and then Lydia comes in. She comes to the door and Penelope is like, what are you doing here? And Lydia says, I am going to spoon you. Yeah, <laughs> I love like, how she entered the room. She kind of she's in like this long nightgown and yeah. she just stands by the door for a second and then walks in, stands over the bed, doesn't say anything and then just goes move over. 
It's like she looks a little yeah. bit like a ghost, yeah, which is kind of funny. It's like ethereal and ghostly, and she's like, move over, I'm going to spoon you. And Penelope's like, no, you really don't have to do that. But then she just she just gets in the bed, she does not listen. And she's she, like, mom, this is weird. She puts her arms around Penelope, and then she also puts her leg up over Penelope, like truly spooning like they're a couple. It's kind of weird. <laughs> but it's also cute. And then basically we see them like fall asleep together and it's like you know Lydia's gonna be there and support Penelope no matter what and that's Mm -hmm. the end of the first episode so yeah so that's that's the pilot any other like closing thoughts it was just so nice I feel like there are there's like this thing with shows particularly lately where they have to be like even comedies I feel like sometimes are somehow like rife with drama that Mm -hmm. feels kind of unnecessary at times and I feel like this was just so refreshing and different from some other things Mm -hmm. that it was just nice to watch I just had it I just had a good time yeah yeah there's something about this show it just it has so much heart you know Mm -hmm. it it has drama in the sense of like things happen and there's conflict and yeah. there are stakes to what's going on, but there's always a heart underneath all of it because, again, the characters truly care about each other so much, and they are all fundamentally good people, even if they mess up sometimes. You know, they hurt each other sometimes, but then they always come back and they apologize. They always reaffirm their care for each other, and also like, it's not just a care for each other. I feel like there's a caring about the world in this show as well. Yeah, there's a certain ethos to it that I mean, I feel like it shows up more so as you go on, but like not just in the sense of like it tackles issues because this show does go on to tackle a lot of very relevant contemporary issues such as mental health, such as uh, caring for veterans, such as racism and xenophobia, um, citizenship in the United States, voting, homophobia, non-binary representation. Like there's truly a lot of different topics it goes into that are very pertinent. And it, they do them all in a way that's like not preachy, that feels like real and grounded in just the effect it's having on the characters. It doesn't feel like it's on a soapbox. And also the way it handles all these characters, I feel like it's always coming from this sense of like some other shows, they'll bring up an issue for the sake of drama. Like, oh, like someone's gay, that's controversial. But in this show, it's, I mean, part like in the gay example, I guess that's just times have changed. But like generally all the issues, they're not brought up as like, oh, isn't that controversial for drama? It's like, what effect is it having on these characters and on the world? And then it's presented through this lens of like, when we talk about it, they're all the characters are trying to talk about like how can we solve this issue for ourselves and also for the world like what's the solution that's gonna make everyone feel safe and happy you know Mm -hmm. it's not about like getting zingers or winning it's about everyone feeling safe and cared for yeah and I think that's a good point about I feel like the drama I assume that the drama of things is going to come from the characters honestly it's just gonna come from a place of caring Mm -hmm. I think that they're all set up so that they clearly care about each other and they all want to, you know, do right by each other. But of course, they're all different people. So they're going to go about it in different ways. Mm -hmm. And like, as much as I, there's this, I know there's like a trend in like media with like Mm -hmm. asshole characters. And as much as I enjoy asshole characters, (laughs) it's nice to have these people that are just nice. Yeah. Yeah, they're nice and like they're flawed sometimes. Like they get mm-hmm. things wrong sometimes and they do wrong sometimes, but I feel like fundamentally their like center of gravity, their equilibrium is in a slightly nicer place than some other sitcoms. 
Yeah. Yeah. Which, I know, agree. There's places for all different types of shows, but this is definitely a show where like kindness is very much valued and caring is very much valued. Empathy is very much valued, which is mm-hmm. why it's really, really nice to watch this show. I like, I feel like it's just like free serotonin to watch it. And <laughs> watch it. I will warn you, there are a few episodes, a few in the, across the seasons where you will be reaching for the tissues. So be careful. <laughs> oh, I'm but, sure. I, I cry pretty overall, easily at things. <laughs> <laughs> overall, though, most of the time you'll be having a smile on your face. Yeah. Um, I also like yeah. that. I feel like as I was watching this, there are times where you can tell how much the writer cares about the story that mm-hmm. they are writing. And I could really feel that care in this. Um, yeah. Are there particular examples of that? I mean, it was, I guess it was the overall vibe of mm-hmm. the show. And also, I guess, you know, me seeing me seeing the writers on Twitter talk about it as well. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that, that, you know, um, sort of, I forgot the word I was looking for, but that sort of yeah. like, you know, colored that colored my yeah. view of how I was coming into this a little bit, but mm-hmm. I feel like just the, I got such a good warm feeling at this family unit that I've never experienced that like there this is my first time with these characters yeah. and I just feel like us right off the bat I felt like I was a part of the I felt like warm yeah. and invited to it like it wasn't just I felt like you know a part of it yeah like right away I agree there's something about the show I had the exactly the same experience when I first watched it I was just checking out I barely knew anything about it other than I had heard it recommended a couple times um, like I didn't even know it had a laugh track when I first clicked on it but I remember having that experience of when I finished the first episode, like, oh, I, this is just making me feel really warm inside. I really want to continue watching. And I don't always have mm-hmm. that feeling with sitcoms. A lot of times with sitcoms, I'll just be like, okay, yeah, that was entertaining enough. I'll put on another, like, I'll let it roll or like, I'll come back to that another time, put it on while I do something. But usually with sitcoms, it's more so like, okay, that's entertaining enough and not like, mm-hmm. oh, I feel really compelled to go on because I really care about these characters. Yeah. Um, and that I did feel that with this sitcom. So I personally think, I mean, definitely the show is acclaimed. Like, obviously, a lot of people say it's good, but although overall the audience and the attention, it maybe hasn't gotten not super a ton of people have heard of it. I mean, obviously, the fact that it's been canceled <laughs> twice. Yeah. But I feel like this is a show that is going to stand the test of time, even, you know, considering the fact that it's a reboot or a remake. You know, obviously, the first one. Uh, made a big enough impact for this remake to happen but I think this one is also going to stand on its own and be hailed as one of the best sitcoms of this era because it just has that incredible level of heart it has incredible acting incredible writing tackles contemporary issues without feeling preachy and just really I think even if it hasn't been the most popular right off the bat I think it's one that's going to stick with people and I think it's going to continue to be talked about as just an example of a really really wonderful sitcom Yeah, like thinking about like, you know, different remakes of things in this particular moment, I'm thinking about like how you've got, you know, the UK version of The Office and Mm -hmm. then the American version of The Office. And I think that those two definitely stand on their own as well. I Mm -hmm. feel like at first, you know, at first The Office did the thing of trying to imitate what the UK had going on and it didn't work. And then it like then found its footing as something different. And I think that that's why you remember, you remember them as separate entities and not as necessarily, you know, oh, this is a remake of that. Yeah. Just, you know, but American. 
again, didn't know that this was a remake until (laughs) recently. We could probably do a whole episode just talking about remakes, reboots, etc. Obviously, there's no simple answer to it. Like, some are going to be good and some are going to be bad. Um, I'm sure we could talk about it a lot more. But this one's also interesting to me because it was, I mean, not the exact same writers, but it was Norman Lear, the original creator, who then spurred for it to be remade. And the shows, they're quite different overall, aside Mm -hmm. from that just premise that it's a single mother. They are otherwise quite substantially different, but also have a similar heart to them. Yeah. So it's just interesting to think about like, you know, is it, uh, should it be called a reboot? Should it have had the name changed? You know, should it, like, what are the pros and cons to that? I don't know. That's just interesting to think about as a viewer more so, like as writers, you and I, and potentially any other early career writers that are listening, we probably will not be in the position of writing a reboot or a remake for a very long time. You only do that if you're already very successful. So it's not necessarily the most useful for our actual uh, writing experience, but it is just interesting to think about as a TV viewer who exists in this mm-hmm. landscape that is increasingly dominated by remakes or sequels or takeoffs of existing properties. So that's interesting. Um, I would also love to just circle back to the whole multicam situation before we finish up. Um, I okay. read a little bit, I found a little article from somebody who attended a live taping of One Day at a Time. This one, you know, the, the remake was also filmed in front of a live studio audience on uh, a set in LA and basically the experience of when you go I've never been to a live taping of anything I would love to do it someday Um, but it sounds like the overall experience is that the whole taping is like four hours long because they have to do multiple takes get things set up whatever and the audience has to get there early they first have like a warm-up comedian come in and warm up the audience um, which makes sense because they want people to already be in a good mood and and laughing and whatnot and then they uh, introduced Norman Lear and he gave a little speech about like what the show and what it means which is nice I I never realized that could be part of of like creator or producer coming on to speak about the show and then apparently they did a little introduction with the cast coming out and like get people getting to cheer which makes sense to let people get their initial cheers out to see the yeah. cast before they actually start performing because people still will clap for Rita Moreno's first entrance when she comes on stage but like you know let them get the most of it out yeah. <laughs> and then apparently they said it was just a really good vibe everyone in the audience was just having a great time and like it was a great energy in the room everyone feeding into each other um feeling the positive energy so it's interesting because a lot of us audiences in general had grown resistant to laugh track sitcoms because i feel like they were becoming stale after like what i don't know 40 plus years of being the norm on tv they were starting I feel to feel like stale. i also feel like around the time of the big bang theory is when people were like this is tired yeah yeah because like I think it was a combination of that format was starting to become stale plus single camera comedy was becoming used more and more often and people were liking it it was taking off so that was starting to become the norm you know with shows like The Office and shows like Arrested Development and you know, whatnot, other sitcoms of that era, some of which we've talked about. So people were liking that. And then they were realizing, oh, if we like this thing, then that other thing must be bad or worse. And like multi-camera sitcoms have continued throughout this time. It's never like they went away, but I feel like they have dwindled to a much smaller share of what they used to be of the TV landscape. Um, like you can still find think them. of another. Well, I just don't watch them. They still exist on TV. Like if you turn on primetime TV network oh, yeah. in the evenings, like they'll be there. There's like, I don't know, 
Big Bang Theory, I guess, just ended recently, but Young Sheldon now, like all the ones I don't I'm think that say, one's uh that was is that multicam? I didn't I actually think it have was. no idea. I've never watched it. I don't it. think it is actually. I think it's a completely different format. Um but anyway, the ones I'm gonna name might be things that have been off the air for a couple of years because I don't really watch live TV much anymore and see the commercials, but like Melissa and Joey, Mike and Molly, Mom. I think Mom is still on, maybe, or it just yeah. ended. But yeah, like they still exist. They still exist. Yeah. They're just a smaller portion of the offerings. And I think they had been on their way out and also just the ones that were coming out were trying to cater to a very specific audience that still wanted them like that just wanted a very consistent reproduced thing I'm not trying to say it's bad but like some people really want structured predictable tv that's okay sometimes you want something very predictable in the background I feel like those are kind of the the comedy version of like law and order where you Mm, just want to be able to put it on and know exactly what kind of jokes they're going to make know exactly what the rhythm's going to be and it's not going to be stressful at all and you don't have to pay attention there's a value in that. But like, I think a lot of us, myself included, had started like we're viewing laugh tracks or multi-cam camera comedies as like a relic of the past, you know, not relevant anymore. But then when I watched this, I was very surprised because it made me reevaluate because I think this show really works in that format. I think it it's made better by that format, frankly. And I was trying to think about why. And I came up with a couple of things. I think, first of all, I think it enhances like the performances and the vibe because all of them, but especially, I feel like it's easiest to see it with Rita Moreno, but you can also see it with the other characters. She's playing for an audience. Yeah, like it's, it, that's, she's a that's like feeding actor. her. Like, you know, Rita Moreno, obviously super talented theater actor, so many accolades, Tonys, et cetera. Not that you have to be a theater actor to be able to do this, but like she knows how to play to the audience that's in front of her and use their energy. And yeah. it enhances the performance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's different, like, you know, TV acting versus stage acting. They're both good in different ways, but there's a different energy. And I think this show is really served by that energy. And then the other thing that I've been thinking about lately is it's just a different rhythm of laugh track sitcoms versus single camera. I feel like we talked about this a little bit in the Arrested Development episode, but like single camera comedies um, that have been becoming popular lately, it's all about like joke, 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 really, really, really fast. And that's nice sometimes. It is, it is nice because it's entertaining. But also sometimes like when I watch this, I found that it was really nice to just be able to like, like take a breath a little bit after every joke like I have a minute to like pause and take it in before yeah like sometimes I feel like sometimes with some single camera comedy shows if I'm like really enjoying the joke I will actually have to physically pause it in order to stop for a second because I don't want to miss what's coming next yeah also sometimes just my brain takes a minute to catch up and so the advantage to those fast-paced shows is there's like bonuses on rewatches you'll catch new things that maybe you haven't seen before so I feel like That's another reason those have become popular as streaming became a thing, because then there's more things to pick up on when you rewatch. But yeah, I think, I think the single camera or sorry, the multi-camera format, um, it's just different benefits. It's different benefits to it. You, I think it focuses more so on the performances. It focuses more so on the comedy coming from the actors, their unique performances, because it's a little bit more so live than single camera where they're doing a ton of takes. Single, mm-hmm. single camera they're generally doing fewer takes and more of the takes are probably going to be contiguous with each other of like the actors yeah. all being in the same moment as opposed to being cut together so you get a little bit more of a live feeling you also get the audience vibe and that energy even if you're not in the room with them it's not about like a lot of people are like oh but it's so annoying to hear them laughing but it's not really about that it's not about us hearing the other people laughing it's about us getting the benefit of the actor's performance which is enhanced by being in the room with the audience you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so like 
then it's like oh but could they like take out the sound of people laughing you could but then there would be awkward pauses yeah it'd be so odd (laughs) you don't want that so yeah there's I mean obviously it's a style difference maybe some people just really don't like it but for me it's just a matter of is the is the show working in that format and I think this show absolutely does well as a multi-cam show I think that's how it should be yeah I think that I've done this in my own writing where I'm like, what is the right format to tell this story in? And like, sometimes it depends and I'll like Mm -hmm. start writing it one way and then it'll be like, oh no, this, this, this shouldn't be written this way. I got to do it some way else. Yeah. Um, It's really important. And sometimes like as a writer, you, it's a journey for you as viewers, you can just view a product and then either be like, yes, this is in the right format or no, this does not feel like it's in the right format. You just get to react to it. But as a writer, you want to ask yourself those questions. Like, why did why have I chosen the format that I have chosen? How is it serving my story? And if it's not, potentially, how can I change it? Maybe we could do an episode about like different formats as well sometime because that w- might be fun. Ooh, yeah, that could be interesting. Thanks for listening. We want to hear from you now. If you have any thoughts about the One Day at a Time pilot you'd like to share with us or suggestions for shows we should watch, you can email us at itsinmyqpod at gmail.com. And in case you want to prepare for the next episode discussion with us, the next pilot we will be watching is The Magicians. So go ahead and watch or rewatch that episode so you'll be ready for our thoughts on it next week. And if you liked what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends to listen. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at InMyQPod or on our personal Twitters. I am at Adina Terrific. And I'm at Kara underscore Powell. Thanks for listening, and we hope we've helped you clear out your queue.